welcome everyone. It's been like a year since we've been on. Um, <laughs> welcome to the Space Biff Space Cast. Book no. Space Books Cast. That's the other one. Space it's amazing we've been able to to record so many hundreds of episodes yeah. when we take a year in between them. It's, yeah, it's truly and impressive. I still can't remember the name of the podcast. Like every time, we're vampires. Yeah, are we? I didn't know. Thousand year old vampires. Cool. Yeah, like yeah. that game. Right. Well, I'm your host, Somerset Winters Thoreau. Thorot. Hi, Summer. It's Dan. Hi. There's Brock. He just said hello. Yes, hello. Dan's been silent. I was saying hello yes. to Summer, but now I can say hello to Dan. Hello, and, Brock. And to our listeners. Ah, hello, Johns and Sams and Sallies. <laughs> yeah. Molly. Only one. Yeah. Mom. <laughs> no, mom doesn't listen. She's bored with these books. Well, My anyway. mom would be embarrassed if she listened. We, She's easily we, embarrassed. <laughs> well, we'd like to rate this book with a thumbs up or thumbs down and a descriptor. You we would like. Oh, we right. would like to do that. We're we're reviewing the seven. It's not the. It's just seven surrenders by Ada Palmer, winner of the John W. Campbell Award for Best New Writer. Lovely. This Good job, Ada Palmer. of Tara Ignota. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Next time we're going to make you rehearse. No, that would <laughs> no. be silly. Yeah. Okay, you lose so the magic. Good. It would lose the magic and the fun. Yeah, exactly. It, it would lose its natural... Rhythm, tone, tempo, timber. Yeah, timber. Yeah. Something. Yeah. Cadence. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It would be. It. Yeah. <laughs> Timing. March. <laughs> Drudge. Hey, Drudge. Hey. 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 Now. Death march. Well, now you're. Slog. Now, okay, you guys. <laughs> no, that's not one of them. Now it's now. <laughs> I was talking about something else. Oh, um, right. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, Brock, do you have a... Do, you do, do you were it? in the middle of doing what? something. Was I? <laughs> we read no, it. I know. I know. I was going to say, Brock, do you want to go first? Oh, yeah. Okay. She was, I thought you were going to ask for Brock my... to do his thing. Stop, <laughs> do his bit. Stop cranking my mode or something. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think I, I think I do, and I I wrote it down inside my copy of the book. Oh, nice! Um, and this may be, oh boy, I really, I really hesitate. I'm excited to give it a challenging thumbs down. Ooh. There we have it. Oh, oh boy. How about you, Dan? Well, I do. You really want me to go next? This guy, this guy over here. I can. Okay. I am going to give this book. <laughs> I award to you, Ada Palmer, for the second book of Terra Ignota, Seven Surrenders, an affectionate thumbs down. Oh, okay. Ooh, interesting. interesting. Um, I'm going to 
say also, strangely enough, thumbs down, and my word will be next. <laughs> wow. Uh, oh, boy. It's just because I didn't really think of anything beforehand. I should have thought of something clever. You're right. Maybe we should practice. Or just prepare more than 10 so you, minutes before the show. Possibly. Mm. Yeah, possibly. Mm. So you, you give it a thank you next in the grand yeah. tradition of. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to read the next one. I thought this ended well enough for me to be done with it. Oh. It's just, it's just, it's just too much, especially when I'm busy doing other things. Well, why don't we editorialize later? Uh, uh, okay. There'll be All time. Right. Yes. Well, next we've got some wrong spoilers. Brock, take it away. We certainly do. Uh, and I really only had a few. Um, like 10? Uh, no, even fewer <laughs> than that. Oh, okay. Uh, so my, my first wrong spoiler uh, is, I think, one that uh, that Dan will appreciate. Uh, and it says, all the best novelists say to give your villain a tonsure as it's the most evil haircut. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, is that that's it? just that's just yeah that's just novel writing no that's not all of them that's just the first one. Oh, okay i do like that you know one of my only regrets i i'm often asked um by people just around town sure. you know hundreds yeah. of people ask me this uh people are saying i learned that <laughs> rhetorical tool from someone over the last right. few years people are saying <laughs> they ask me do you do you mind being bald Okay. And, People are uh, that bold to ask if you're. They are that bald faced as to ask me if I, if I mind being bald. Wow. I'm not actually asked this very often, but I have been asked it. Wow. Usually by other bald men. Oh, okay. And I don't. I don't really care. Um, except for when you do. Except for okay. when I really want to give myself a tonsure and just look <laughs> ridiculous, like for Halloween. <laughs> Wait, is this like a, is that like the monk haircut? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. It's where just, you have the ring yeah. of hair and then you have the bald patch. Yeah. Well, um, you've got most of it. Well, no, but I, I need the hair across the front. To yeah. even oh, that's true. Right. Otherwise you're just well, bald. So we could yeah. like cut it off down here and like glue it on right there. Yeah. yeah. I bet that would look convincing. <laughs> I think it would too. I bet everyone in the neighborhood would be asking me. <laughs> not about my taped on hair. Hey, no, my cousin <laughs> cut his hair in a tonsure for Halloween one year. Do you remember? Yeah. Yeah. And I envied him. Yeah. But he has this it was beautiful, like he looks like Gaston, but blonde. Yeah, he does. <laughs> so he was, also he was, like, he was yeah. just yeah. flaunting his hair. Yeah. That's a, that is a fascinating kind of, aspect kind of, of the tonsure. That, yeah. There's a that you have to leave. And it looks like a sea of hair. rippling grain. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, no. Yeah, lovely. <laughs> um, All right. Uh, so tonsures. Yeah, tonsure. Uh, next wrong spoiler. Uh, thumb nipples. I I don't. There's oh, yeah. not a joke. There's not a joke here. I just needed to say <laughs> thumb nipples. That's not really a wrong spoiler. That's a true spoiler. <laughs> nope. Just, just needed to get it out there real early on in the yeah, episode. That was kind of a weird detail, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, boy. That was interesting. Uh, and then I, I did find a couple alternate titles. Uh, Sweet. 
the first alternate title, The Trouble with Omnipotence. <laughs> and the second alternate title, uh, and the final wrong spoiler, Brother Bangers. And that's just sort of capturing the some some of the themes of this book. Yeah, I like that. That was good. Those are good wrong spoilers. Yeah, all right. Taboobs. <laughs> oh, that's good too. That was another early working title. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, yeah, I appreciate that's it. Your part. Okay, yeah. Sorry. Contribution. Sorry to elbow my way in on that, yeah. Brock. No, I'm you're welcome here. All right. Well, Dan, let's have you synopsize this book. Okay. Now, I can if you really want me to. And I think we do. I mean, okay. Yeah. I Here we go. Syn- you mean synopsize it? I yes. did I did ask you to. Okay. It's your job next. He is capable. Yeah. And prepared. Okay. <clears throat> Occam Sanir is all President Ganymede, yes, it is I, Ockham Sanir, the 12th OS, the organization slash initials founded to perpetuate the bash system through a campaign of tactical assassinations, generating a period of peace, prosperity, and 20-hour work weeks that has lasted longer than any other such period in human history. Yes, the humane and hygienic assassination of up to five people per year may seem like a high price to pay so that everyone else can live in absolute splendor and self-interest, pursuing their goals and ideals and happiness with single-minded intensity. But this is a price we, the OS, gladly pay, although some may question the validity of such a system, contrasted with the despots and nation-states and churches and social media empires of past centuries, and may wriggle and recoil from such cruel necessity, I can assure you, O oh, President, <laughs> that these are indeed the harsh measures necessary to continue our way of life, as horrible as they may seem. <laughs> Wow, that was quite a speech. Off screen, I, as a person whose entire adult life and half of my adolescence were marked by the same two forever wars that a bunch of my high school friends enlisted in to get blown up by IEDs, I'm all, wait, are we serious? (laughs) (laughs) It's basically like a lottery, right? Right. Out of billions of people, like five people die every year. I'm supposed to be upset. Like, I get it. Okay. Everyone who's sure. emailing me right now, I get it. Okay, right. I get it. I've I've also read Octavia Butler's The Ones Who Walk Away from Omelas. Okay? So I get it. But, like, aren't we retiring to our fainting couches, like, a little prematurely? <laughs> I mean, if we're being, like, super Kantian about it, sure, the ends never justify the means. But, like, I feel like even super hardcore deontologists would agree that this is pretty much the best we're ever going to words flash across the screen seven <laughs> synopses oh my goodness yes <laughs> synopses the first <laughs> carlisle foster walks into a darkened cell the door slams shut the lights go red and there before her stands dominic seneschal carlisle's all aha J.E.D.D. Mason's personal pervert. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that was another working title. (laughs) (laughs) What have ye to do with me? Dominic is all, listen well, little thing. I have been assigned as your sensei, and in this future, one's therapist is totally non-consensual. 
and I am going to persuade you to turn the Miracle Boy Bridger over to me. Carlyle's all, no, never. (laughs) (laughs) At that instant, a utopian walks into the room that was locked. It's all, you there, you have the canner device. Dominic is all, take the thing. I only found it recently. I certainly wasn't the one to use it. Mm-hmm. The utopian looks over the scene, which contains medieval torture instruments, medieval sex instruments, medieval sex torture instruments, and Carlisle <laughs> weeping openly on the floor. <laughs> the utopian is all, very good, nothing weird happening here. Catch you guys on the flip side, lates. <laughs> Future speak. Dominic turns to Carlisle. Now where were we? <laughs> Carlisle is all, fine, me shall help thee, but only under protest, pervert. <laughs> synopsis the second oh good (laughs) serial murderer and cannibal mycroft canner is hanging around a medieval prison when he happens upon his lover saladin in a cage he rushes forward and threads his fingers through the bars interlacing them with his lovers he's all prithee flesh of mine flesh how come ye to inhabit a cage for birds remember him talking like this whenever he talks that's how he sounded to me okay it's like insane all right emperor cornell mason steps out of the shadows where apparently he's just been waiting (laughs) like this moment Mm -hmm. he holds up a utopian coat and gives it a shake some coins fall on the floor he frowns and shakes it again An assault rifle, a flamethrower, a handful of poison darts, a suitcase nuke, a Don's hammer targeting device, and a ninja star clatter to the stones. He's all, tell me, pitiful servant, what was thine ba-sib wearing the coat of Apollo Mojave for? And how doth it come to contain such dreadful apparati? (laughs) Mycroft hangs his head in shame, making ready to spill his most dreadful secret. Mason! Emperor! Friend! (laughs) Thine loved ones I did cannibalize and murder. I did this not to displease thee, nor for mine own pleasure, nor even for the sake of mine philosophy of individual brutality as the final expression of liberty in the face of the state monopoly on human agency. I did these things for the most horrid reason of all. Because thine servants planned an undertaking most vile and warlike to sacrifice billions of lives to roll the dice on a better world. Of which there was no guarantee twould manifest. <laughs> the torture I did play upon their bodies was a reflection of the torments they intended to work upon the body of mankind. Forgive me! <laughs> I did think they, that Mycroft was pretty whiny, this book. Yeah, yeah. Cornell Mason <laughs> stares at him. He's all, what the hell, Mycroft? <laughs> That's why you killed my friends? <laughs> they were going to kill half the human race? That's a totally reasonable reason to kill some folks. <laughs> some might call it the only good reason. Like, I'm on the verge of killing that pervert my adopted son keeps around, and he hasn't even done anything. (laughs) I mean, as the emperor of humankind, (laughs) thou art forgiven this one indiscretion, Mycroft, but only this once. (laughs) 
Uh, I now must go and meditate upon thine words and such. <laughs> Synopsis the third. Ojiro Cardigan's sniper has been kidnapped and used as an underaged sex doll. Oh my. Yep. Is he underage? That did yes, happen. He is. Yeah, he's 17, oh, right? All right. Okay. I turn to Ada Palmer seated on the bench beside me and go, you're really putting it all out there, huh? <laughs> she winks, except she doesn't know how to wink. So it's a weird squinchy blink. <laughs> I scoot to the far end of the bench. <laughs> Sniper returns to the Sunir Weeks booth bash to learn that Occam his Sunir has been asked to conduct further assassinations. The group discusses whether they should continue their campaign now that the police might be onto them. A noise from the Mukta stirs their attention, and they discover Carlisle Foster within. Dragging her out, they ask her attention. Intentions. She reveals that Julia Doria Pamphili, head of the Conclave of Cousins, has been building a network of spies to oppose the Mitsubishi. Disby Sanir takes her outside. She's all, remember, Sensei, I am a witch. <laughs> now I command you to go home and kill yourself. Carlisle is all, I, I think I have to go kill myself. <laughs> At that instant, the police descend upon the bash. It turns out that Mycroft was wrong. She isn't a witch. Disby has been using her talent for smell tracks from her Academy Award-winning films to manipulate lovers and enemies into suicide. The entire bash is arrested, apart from Sniper. <gasps> Synopsis the fourth. Now I want to watch that community. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Put out at being commanded to kill herself, Carlisle heads to the secret club where the world's leaders meet to indulge the future's three remaining taboos. <laughs> Religious conversation, gendered pronouns, and disclosing your income to your co-workers. <laughs> Carlisle intends to reveal to them that she knows about the OS program of assassinations. As usual, the world leaders have finished up some incest and are now bickering. <laughs> The Anonymous, Emperor Mason, King Isabel Carlos II, and the head of the cousins are mad at President Ganymede and the Mitsubishi for their secret assassinations. President Ganymede deflects by pointing out that the cousins' method of governance, a big suggestion box, has been manipulated by the Anonymous. At that moment, Casimir Perry, the Prime Minister of the European Union, bursts into maniacal laughter, as one does. <laughs> He's all, aha! I fooled you all. <laughs> I am not, in fact, Casimir Perry. I am Marion Cray, the disgraced politician who fathered a child upon name Mitsubishi. I vowed vengeance on you, vengeance on you leaders, who removed me from power, and now my vengeance is fulfilled. Psych. <laughs> Punked. That's my plan. You burnt. <laughs> Madame de Arouette, the leader of the secret club, titters loudly. Oh, Marion, little did you know your vengeance is for naught. Your child, the child of your union, with Danae is right here, for it is Carlisle Foster herself. Carlisle is all. That's impossible. No! No! <laughs> Meanwhile, Marion Cray is all. I don't see why I should care. <laughs> he tackles President Ganymede through the glass. Wah! 
so like Wario. Yeah. They fall 10 stories into the sex pit below, although fortunately it's sufficiently lubricated that they don't get hurt. It <laughs> <laughs> seems that seems too high for effective viewing. <laughs> the world leaders gather at the window shocked at Cray's assault. Down below is Sniper, surrounded by floating cameras, revealing to the entire world that their leaders are members of a secret sex club led by Madame de Arouette. <laughs> In a very long flashback, we learn how each leader found themselves under Madame de Arouette's thumb. <laughs> Synopsis the sixth. <laughs> Back in the present, Madame de Arouette's biological son and presumably the god of another universe, J.E.D.D. Mason, gathers in front of the Masonic capital to calm the world. He's all, in my universe, there is no suffering. (laughs) (laughs) Only a yearning, a yearning against an act both voluntary and desirable, which will, when its course has run, strengthen the individual consciousness to an appropriate degree without permitting an assault on the inviolability of another consciousness. This process is superior to the creation of the god of this universe, trapped as we all are within decaying corpses, capable of not only touching one another, but violating the proper trajectory of another's course. Out of the crowd, someone's all, I saw your mom winding the emperor's crank! (laughs) I don't don't remember that part. J.E.D.D. Mason fixes the heckler with a stare Mycroft describes as Aristotelian. <laughs> I don't know what, what that means. That mean? <laughs> I, I haven't hung out with Aristotle. <laughs> Aristotelian. Tomorrow you may flood the streets and begin a war from which there will be no recovery, or you will not. This capacity to choose is powerful beyond even the sweeping tides of history. In my universe, there are no such tides. For time and decay are unthinkable concepts, both in their extrinsic nature and in the suffering they impart. Some hecklers all, what about your dad's crank? (laughs) (laughs) J.E.D.D. Mason continues, it was said of old Carthago de Lenda Est, but the Carthago of the rotting soul is not Carthage, but one's impulses to violence and carnage. Beside him, his personal pervert, Dominic Seneschal, (laughs) rubs his hands excitedly for some reason. (laughs) At that moment, a bullet explodes J.E.D.D. Mason's head. (gasps) All eyes turn to the nearby rooftop where Sniper is perched. I turn to Ada Palmer, who has scooted uncomfortably uncomfortably close on the bench we share. (laughs) I'm all, you felt pretty clever about having Sniper be a sniper, didn't you? She wriggles her eyebrows suggestively and she's all, guess what Palmer means? (laughs) Oh, goodness. Allegedly. This is all allegedly. (laughs) This happened. I would testify in court. Oh, my gosh. I was like, what does it mean? Okay, dodging stun fire, snipers all, hold on, hold on, hear me out. <laughs> J-E-D-D was a weird one, but did anyone even understand what he was saying? <laughs> My plan is much better. How about not? <laughs> 
At this very minute, your parliament has been exploded. I'm holding all the cars hostage, all the cars in the world. And I've just gotten rid of the tyrant who hoped to unite you under the Masonic Empire. You should be thanking me, your 13th OS. <sighs> Dominic roars pervertedly <laughs> and begins chasing Sniper. They have a sword fight, race across rooftops, and battle on the back of a flying car. Because this would be too exciting, Ada Palmer makes it happen off screen. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone gathers around the body of J.E.D.D. Mason, weeping loudly and beating their breasts. Non-gendered breasts. Bridger (laughs) appears. At last, a meeting of the two gods. Bridger produces a resurrection potion, which stitches J.E.D.D.'s head back together. As his whisked away to a hospital to recover, Bridger disappears because he's like a god. <laughs> right. <laughs> Synopsis the seventh. Mycroft goes after Bridger, realizing that Sniper has gained control over him by kidnapping his living toys. This is really the plot. <laughs> <laughs> At this point, there's no telling how many snipers have been divinely animated by Bridger's touch. Yikes. And I don't mean that sexy, like, <laughs> no, it's like brought no, to he, life. Yeah, They're both him. minors. Right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I don't know if that would stop Ada Palmer. <laughs> In a sniper doll warehouse, which is somehow only 10% as creepy as the doll warehouse I was once trapped in for a night. <laughs> <laughs> Mycroft faces off against Sniper. Sniper holds a gun on him, but Mycroft tricks him by punching him in the face. <laughs> Mycroft runs to the locked room where Bridger is. He's all, forsooth and parcheesy, Bridger. (laughs) Come up, come forth, strong child. (laughs) Bridger's all, father, I cannot go on in this manner. Can you tell their father and son? (laughs) (laughs) The war is coming. You know it, Mycroft. The war shall consume the world entire. If only I were strong enough to see it through. But you need a soldier now, not a boy. Mycroft begs him not to do something, but Bridger does it anyway and transforms himself into the warrior Achilles from the Iliad. <laughs> yeah, does that. Except born with memories of every war ever fought and a few that were only fictional. <laughs> <laughs> right. Achilles exits the room. He's all, the time of tooth and laser beam are upon us, Mycroft. <laughs> Lead the way, for today we shall extract even more from our enemies than seven surrenders. <sighs> On the bench next to Ada Palmer, I'm all, is that why it's called the end? <laughs> <laughs> oh, very well done. Thank you. That was elucidating. Yep. That was. It was refreshing. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, it's my turn now for bad takes. Well, I look. I looked up reviews, you know, right before this, we started recording, and with careful research, I really couldn't find any like bad takes because all the good reviews were basically what I liked about the book, and all the bad reviews were what I didn't like about the book. So I didn't really think anyone had a bad take because I was like, the one star reviews were like, eh, and I was like, hmm, yeah. <laughs> just the and long the string of. Like, and the good reviews were like, 
it was it was good. It was a great continuation, and it was deep, and it was you made you think and change your thoughts. And I was like, yeah. So I didn't find any bad takes. Sorry. Everyone well, is so, right so about. So, what this are book. your good takes? <clears throat> <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, I. I <laughs> I um I did like that the the adventure stuff kind of picked up and it wasn't so much um I don't know like it felt like more things started to happen versus the first book where it was like it was like half the book and it had been a day yeah it was less of a textbook still nothing had like happened <laughs> Um, so I liked that. I liked the, I liked that Jed Mason got shot. I mean, not really, but I, that was exciting. And then Bridger comes out of the sky with his Hermes wings on and, and he's like, I'm sorry. And he's crying. Cause he's like always crying. Cause he's like a baby. And, and then he heals he J E D D Mason, Jed. Anyway, I, you know, I liked, I liked the writing, but it's not, this isn't my, this isn't my thing. So, you know, like I said, I won't be reading. I, I probably won't read the next one, but I th- I'm glad I read it. I didn't under, it's not like it's a book that helped me understand any of those philosophies better. So there's that. Yeah. I just read, read them. Yeah. So what you're saying is that all the reviewers are smart enough to share your opinion on this book. Right. Yeah. <laughs> So there, so there we go. There's, there's mine. <clears throat> do you, do you want to give us your overall feelings, Brock? Oh, heavens. Uh, so we talked in our last episode about uh, how to like the lightning felt somewhat metatextual, right? Like it, it uh, sure. sort of required you to be familiar with a lot of the same reading and, uh, and texts that Ada Palmer drew from. Um, and I, I felt heavily the same way in this, uh, in this book that, you know, I, uh, I simply did not have time to get a philosophy degree between reading these two books. So <laughs> right? it, it yeah. continued to fall yeah. on, on deaf ears, uh, for, you know, for, for me, there were just things that, you know, that I still didn't have the, uh, the background uh, to, to get, um, I do think, you know, from our first discussion of, of, uh, to like the lightning, like I do think I appreciated some aspects of this more, um, you know, having had, uh, a little more insight into our narrator, uh, you know, into Minecraft's kind of, uh, motivations and the kind of person that, that, uh, that he is. Uh, so I, I did definitely enjoy this more, um, and that, you know, and definitely more things happened. Uh, but I do think, I do think there's sort of a strange layer of pretty heavy and heady philosophy and, uh, sort of political intrigue with, with a layer of just extreme fantasy of two uh, 
two godlike characters. Oh, and in fact, um, we'll, we'll get into it. There's, there, I mean, multiple godlike characters, but you know, Bridger being <laughs> Bridger having like Excalibur, and you know, you mentioned Hermes wings, and mm-hmm. like just like this really strange fantasy layer within this this uh, detailed sci-fi world within this, you know, mm-hmm. very philosophical uh, ruling class. And there's a, just a lot, a lot going on. Mm-hmm. So I guess that raises a question for me. Did we find that those, you know, it, it basically is taking two massively different things and layering them over each other, or maybe not layering so much as crashing them into each other at high speed. Should sure. we, it, did we find that interesting or off-putting? I, I, th- I think both, but I, I think I found it more off-putting mm-hmm. um, because I, th- I think the integration w- was not terribly smooth. I, mm-hmm. it, it felt a little bit like Bridger existed on the, uh, on the periphery of this story that's being told, you know, almost as a, as an aside. Oh, and by the way, this kid who could end or save the world with a snap of his fingers. Uh, and, but yeah, pretty, a a very strange aspect that I don't, that I don't think ever really, uh, fully integrated. Sorry, Summer, you were going to, you were going to speak. So Dan, uh, I feel like at one point I remember you saying, so these are, so we do have a, an untrustworthy narrator and you intimated that maybe Bridger didn't even exist. Mm-hmm. So how does that, how does that change this? So, <clears throat> so, so me saying that is actually, so I said that when we were, uh, last time when we were reading to like the lightning, mm-hmm. actually some of that was informed from reading this book. Mm-hmm. I am so personally, I feel, and I don't want this to sound as dismissive as it might. I feel like, so, so those of you who know me might know that uh, I study um, basically late antiquity and the history of early Christianity. And some of that, that really touches uh, a place within me is just how much uh, you enter into this strange space between what actually happened and what may have been invented. Mm-hmm. And I think it's fascinating. And and obviously there are a lot of opinions on this, so I don't want anyone to act, even assume they understand where I'm coming from or what my actual view is, but I love that tension. I actually find it really exciting that you can read a document like Josephus which is very much so Josephus, uh, who you may know was a or not know Jewish general. <laughs> so Josephus was a Jewish general. Oh, I didn't. And I didn't know he was a general. I thought he was just a historian. Well, so here's what happened: is he was a general, and he actually betrayed the Jews um, over to uh, the Romans, and was given a place in their household, and is and changed his name to Flavius Josephus, which was a Roman name. Okay. And then acted as a historian um, oh, and, and taught the history of the Jews in the region of Palestine and so forth, Judea, specifically so that the Romans would know more about this kingdom 
that they conquered. Mm -hmm. And Josephus, you know, like any historian, you, especially from back then, there's not necessarily a value of objectivity. So you have to be very careful with where you trust him. Um, But it's fascinating that Josephus kind of gives you at least basically what you almost could consider a secular history, even though back then no one's really giving a secular history because everyone is superstitious. Okay. Gods are all over the place. Um, But then you contrast that with uh, basically at the exact same time, this Jesus narrative that's coming out of the same place. And one of them is very, as I said, secular, and the other one is very divine. And it keeps getting more divine with more tellings. And so you kind of enter into this place where if you're studying that time period, you have you have to navigate very secular histories um, and records and writings and accounts by Roman governors and things like that that are then interspersed with just incredible stories of the divine. And it's fascinating that tension that exists because it really does feel like here's the real world, which is full of observable phenomenon. And then over here are these instances of miracle and, you know, gods visiting the earth, injecting themselves at weird angles into reality. Mm -hmm. And, and that's always fascinated me um, how religion comes to view itself and tell its own story and so, so here, as I was reading this, it just occurred to me, let's say that um, J.E.D.D. Mason was shot and just survived. Sure. Okay. And I mean, he still goes to the hospital and has to recover, mm-hmm. you know, despite all of their future medicine, you know, you'd think that a mag- a, ho- a holy magical or divine healing potion would just like have him pop back up. Yeah. But so you have this Bridger story that seems to arise and it kind of acts as a narrative so that J E D D Mason can seem more divine than he really is mm-hmm. because I don't actually know if there's anything divine about him. Really? We get Mycroft and like Dominic Seneschal telling us he's divine and he, and him just being sort of off putting. Yeah. He's weird and otherworldly and he clearly yeah. thinks a lot about things and he believes he's divine. Maybe, mm-hmm. um, but couldn't this be basically like an imperial cult <laughs> creating a creation myth? Sure. And how he survived and where this great general Achilles came from. Yeah. And Mycroft sort of trying to insert himself as a prophet of this uh, of this movement, right? Right. He's a harbinger. He's a John the yeah. Baptist, um, you know, somebody who has some sort of raising connection to their savior. I, so I just read it and I don't, I don't think Bridger is real. Now, now there is the aspect that, uh, the, the hero Achilles is in a 13 year old's body. Isn't, isn't that part of it that that he becomes a man in in a kid's body? Yeah. I think that's kind of a funny aspect. Man, well, think about everyone in this story who actually changes the world. Mm -hmm. It's like a kid. Oh, even, yeah. even like, um, isn't, isn't, isn't Mycroft like 24? Yes. I think he's very young. I think all the set sets are really young. Um, snipers underage. Mm-hmm. J E D D Mason isn't of age. 
right. Bridger isn't of age. Basically, all the all the world leaders are of age, but everyone who's actually like pushing this into transformation, they're all like kids. Yeah. And I think that's intentional. I you know, you so one of the what things about Madame. Well, she's yeah, she's kind of power behind the throne. She's an old lady. But <laughs> but I mean, she even explicitly makes that connection because she wants her son to be the greatest conqueror ever. And comparing him to someone like Alexander the Great, who had conquered the world by the time he was like Brock's age. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Minus I'm, 10 years. I'm very young. <laughs> Brock is like 19. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't know. I And I don't know if there's an answer. And I think that's part of what's appealing about this is because when I read it, 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 was, it is like reading a historical document. And kind of ha- trying to parse like, man, this narrator is bananas yeah, <laughs> and super biased. And he also seems insane. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And so what is what is his angle? Interesting. That's a very interesting reading. Insane and sort and of really smart. Well, you know, he's kind of a Hannibal Lecter figure for more more reasons than one. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, that was our uh, bad takes. And now we're on to our discussion. We've kind of already started. Do you have anything else you'd like to talk about? Or we can continue this conversation about... Yeah, I think Brock's in charge. I think he has uh, secret questions that hopefully aren't about our... Like, which world leader would you? Right, yeah. <laughs> like a Mary Day kill or something. With yeah, like yeah, exactly. Brooks world leaders. <laughs> I'm, I'm not saying I could answer that offhand, but I could. <laughs> uh, well, uh, I'd rather not give that any more headspace. Uh, so we... Uh, um, so in our in our first discussion, there was there was so much that we went over. We we hardly even talked about the like the big reveal of book one. You know the the assassination by self driving car. Mm-hmm. You know this this mechanism whereby uh, the the world is controlled. Um, but you know it, it's a lot is made of it in this book. Um, there's there's a point where uh you know so kato kato weeks booth uh is very anxious about it and um and there's a point where sniper uh says that kato is worse than the rest of them because kato thought it was wrong but he did it anyway um what what's the uh what's the moral judgment on, on this, uh, because I think there maybe is an argument to to say, okay, th- yeah, the rest of them they were doing it because they believed it was for the good of of humanity, but Cato believed it was wrong, but they but Cato still did it. So what's your what's your moral call there? It's <laughs> <laughs> a fun question. <laughs> Do we do we believe one side or the other is correct? Or not? Uh, well, in your no. synopsis, you did. Right. Yeah. Who did I say was correct? 
Well, you basically felt, I think, I thought what you were saying was, you're like, you know, you're like, I mean, I know people who've gone to war and that part. Where, and you said. Best possible scenario. I mean, yeah, really. Yeah, just a few. To die yeah. for the good of humanity. I the lottery. F- I sort of feel like, sure. like, yeah. let's say this goes public and they say there's no war, there's no murder. Mm-hmm. you work 20 hours a week at most you live with like your best friends but out of the entire world population there's a chance like up to five of you per year get so annoying that you get <laughs> very uh, humanely assassinated <laughs> are you going to take that deal or not so it, so I, mean, I think that sounds like a pretty good deal but only if I that's mean, true for everybody like and, we understand that there's servicers. Yeah, exactly right. Do, are we aware? Like, are there are there homeless people? Or I mean, is everyone taken care of? Is this really like a utopia? Or are we just learning about like the five percent? Right. You know, I agree with you. I think we have to, at some level, take it at some. I know this is going to be super hypocritical because I just argue that the narrator says nothing true. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think we have to take it at least some face value. I mean, like, servicer, you kind of deserve to be there, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe not enslaved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's a that's a whole other thing, too. Well, yeah. Hey. Well, there is that undertone, too, that they, they still do kind of have some slaves. Yeah. But, it, so, I mean, are they really all criminals? <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, have they? So, I mean, I think it requires a couple. It requires a knowledge of you know every working piece to to a point approaching omnipotence to to be able to say okay for sure the death of this person is going to you know is going to better humanity by by this method um yeah well that was the claim of the set sets yeah but but i do also i do also wonder if because it was it wasn't the important people, it was like the hairdresser, right? It was, it was some kind of connection. Mm -hmm. And so I do wonder if, if there was a method of like, okay, this, this is now out in the open. And now when we have determined that something needs to change, we send someone to talk to you and we say, (laughs) you need to miss this meeting. (laughs) And we would have killed this person so that you had to attend their funeral. So you missed the meeting. But you just you need to miss the meeting. <laughs> maybe we maybe we hop over the assassination method. Kind of turn to that a little quickly. Well, yeah. and too, would we accept that? Like, if if it's just kind of this random thing, you're like, eh, you know, <laughs> that's that's just the system. Right. But like, if, if the person pulling the trigger is basically a ninety five senses robo person <laughs> who feels they're superior to you and they're making the decision are we gonna buy it right like yeah they might be infinitely smarter than me but they're also like inside a sensory suit and- <laughs> so maybe it's so maybe you just you just get a choice maybe you first get approached and say okay the calculations have determined this we need you to ch- make this change and you can agree or they can carry out the assassination. <laughs> or you can die. Seems like a false choice. Um, 
<laughs> I just it, it is hard to discuss because we have to make so many assumptions about the system. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do think it's a fascinating question. It's hard for me, for kind of for that reason I intimated that you were asking about summer. Just it, it's hard for me from the perspective of our political system not to see what they perceive as a horror to be a, just a tremendous improvement. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. It's just you a know, mercy. Because right now we have a situation where for certain communities, you just might get assassinated at mm-hmm. random and you nothing, know, I, will, and nothing will be improved. Right. And there's no recourse. So here's yeah. a system in which like, yeah, you might be assassinated and it might be because you were the hairdresser to the parliament guy, but, but at least you had, at least it wasn't just because you were black you know, mm-hmm. and it wasn't because you were in the wrong neighborhood jogging, you know, I mean, yeah, and at least attend- there's a sense that it's going to change the world. Yes. Yeah. Um, or keep it on course rather. No, that, and, and, you know, I mean, and, and likely that's sort of the, you know, the intention, the point that's being made is that, you know, if we can look at a system like that and think of it as, an improvement over, you know, something that terrible as an improvement over our current circumstances, then, um, I mean, maybe that is the, the message that's being communicated. Are you going to read the next one, Dan? Oh yeah. I'll read the next two. Yep. Oh, there's two more. Oh, you know, when I I gave it a thumbs down, it was more qualified than last one. I gave it a thumbs down because the first book, I think, struck an incredible balance between those two layers, mm-hmm. kind of the the secular and the religious. And and honestly, I feel like this one in concluding it may have shown behind the curtain a little too much. Mm. Like it was more exciting and it's kind of fun that every single chapter you're getting some new reveal. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I feel like when I, I, I just thought it was a little bit of a letdown. I'm still curious where it's going. I'm still really invested in Palmer's world. I think that what she's done is incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's a hard book. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't recommend it to people. I don't yeah. even know if I would recommend it to myself if I went back in time. Um, <laughs> the first just one, the yes. Second one. Yeah, just the second one. If it had been a part of the first one, like just a continuation of the first one, do you think you would have had, had felt the same? I don't know. And that's, and that's one of the reasons I kind of, I kind of wish it had not been split in two. Mm-hmm. Um, these two as a single volume, I think I would have enjoyed more than them apart. Mm. Interesting. Um, so I, I, I'm looking for, we, we mentioned a couple things that I had taken notes on in the book and of course didn't write, write them down. Um, but I did find one where, uh, when uh, it's Dominic that chases after Sniper, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it is mentioned offhand that Dominic uh, has uh, has killed with his rapier four humanists and two Mitsubishi in legal duels. <laughs> and I know not how many black law hiveless in the war of all on all they so enjoy. So, you know, there's a, there's a big uproar about these political assassinations, but Dominic is just murdering people in duels. <laughs> and, and that is, 
that is offhandedly mentioned. Yeah. Oh yeah, he carries a sword because he kills because he kills because people. Because he duels. It's uh, one of those like Renaissance illusions, right? That like certain kills are fine and certain aren't. Yes. Yes, like, exactly. Like you'd expect like a Renaissance noble. If he just stabs you in the street, your family seeks vengeance. But if he stabs somebody and you're in your family and your family member had given proper offense, then you cannot pursue vengeance. Right. It's like that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. No, it's it, yeah, it, it, it truly is still... like this civilized murder that is acceptable compared to the uh, you know, the clandestine murder that right. we don't that we don't approve yeah. of. So yeah. I, well, I interrupt. So, so kind of like what you're saying, why can't why can't the political murders that like save the world from collapsing why can't they be why can't they be approached and be like okay this is what the algorithms are saying is that you're going to basically ruin the world so do you want to duel Dominic? no i don't want to duel <laughs> okay. dueling okay. is for idiots okay you consent informed consent so I, you've I, been informed about the future am, and that you're going to ruin it and I, you don't want to duel so we're going to shoot you i am not going to duel <laughs> with your weird pervert <laughs> but it seems more illegal and, and then people like, wouldn't be upset about it this and whole then thing they're like even and, and you will be faced with both his long steel and his short sword oh like, i don't want to fight dominant no, that's, <laughs> that's the point <laughs> Okay, well, you don't have to send Dominic, send Sniper, and be like, you get a fight with this Olympian, and they're like, oh, okay, yeah, that's so cool. Let's I'm pretty do it. sure they would still be asking about the short sword because there's a lot of sex stuff there too. <laughs> I mean, the- quite yes, quite a lot. <laughs> I think we're all adult enough to acknowledge <laughs> that every utopia is corrupt somehow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And this universe seems to have no issue with incest and pedophilia. Yeah, ew. Which yeah. is, which yeah. is such a fascinating double standard in the book that she, of that world that she presents. That mm-hmm. children, minors, have certain protections that we wish they could have now. Yes. But also they can just be sex objects. But also, yeah. Yeah, no. That's wild. Um, and so what uh speaking of sniper the i mean most uh, much of the book uses gender neutral pronouns but when when uh, when sniper's genitals are revealed to mycroft he starts calling them it but you already had a gender neutral pronoun that you could use. What do you think the reason is for that change that Minecraft starts calling sniper it? I kind of took it as specificity. See, and I took it as dehumanization. See, I think we would naturally because we would use it dehumanizingly now, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. I didn't get the sense that Minecraft especially disliked sniper no and and i i wonder if it was sort of an artifact of uh you know mycroft's association with uh with the madame's uh influence maybe and like that, that you know he had become so 
gender aware that that I, I, I don't know. I thought it was, I thought it was a really strange, uh, strange choice. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I did one of the reviews I read did mention that specifically and that that reviewer felt that it would be offensive to transgender people. I, yes. I, See, I now it would have be. that feeling as well. Yeah. And I do think I, that it's actually used that way. Like if, you know, you see people who are meaning to be offensive, who, you know, when they're, when they're speaking about a trans person will say it. Yes. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's used that way currently. Well, that's why I don't, I don't think Ada Palmer meant it necessarily offensively. I, although I think she certainly ran that risk. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's meant that way either. See, I, I did take it to be kind of a, I just took it to be that that one of the things you you lose if you shift everything to just kind of they them is you do lose that degree of specificity where you don't have to keep saying somebody's name in dialogue, for instance, when you're mm-hmm. giving an account. I just sort of took it as that that this would not be offensive in their time. And so Mycroft searched for something that permitted him to speak about Sniper. Interesting. But, that could just be me justifying it kind of a later rationalization. I didn't think about it as much as you, obviously. <clears throat> well, so you're saying it, it just made Sniper unique? Well, yeah, that Sniper had decided to, I, and, and it was portrayed that way, right? That Sniper had decided to be um, both genders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it was, it was interesting. It was something that, that stuck out uh to me um oh uh, one of the uh one of the other things with regards to uh <clears throat> the the divine uh characters um you know these uh sort of omniscient uh characters so there are twin set sets that are mentioned and i couldn't find my note in it as i was tra- kind of flipping through pages um, but there's a point where it says like, nobody knows, you know, which, which of the twins is who there's these, you know, these two set sets. Um, and, and it was like, and you know, you can't, you can't figure it out because if you ask one a question, they both know the answer, you know, like, because they're always listening to the other one. And I just was like, okay, I mean, they are robot brains, but like, that's impossible <laughs> to be simultaneously <laughs> living two lives and like listening to someone else's life. Uh, well, Brock, don't you know that humans only use oh, X that's, percent oh, of their brain? Or... <laughs> I always forget that true science fact. <laughs> yeah, that, this is just science. <laughs> They've unlocked 80% of their brain. Yeah. Oh man. No, I just thought that was, um, and I, I feel like there are, multiple examples of just like yeah in the future more like just more and more people will become omniscient and just become messiah figures and do impossible things i thought that was uh an interesting the set sets i mean are completely they really are like uh like science elevating mankind to divine uh capabilities 
one, I, I, I love that it shows that people are just incredibly uncomfortable with them, mm-hmm. um, that there were riots over them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one reason why this system can't go public, no matter how friendly it may seem, hmm. is because people aren't comfortable with these children that have been raised to be borderline omniscient. Mm-hmm. Like if, if someone came up to you and was like, all right, the machine God says you can't go on your canoe trip this weekend <laughs> or you have to duel this pervert over here. Right. Like, how about no to both? <laughs> how about I go canoeing and the pervert doesn't come. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, and yet this is something that we can all um, we can all like grasp that we feel like it could happen. Do you know what I mean? Like we've, you know, we've all seen Minority Report or whatever. And right. um, this is something that we believe could happen. Like someone could be born this way or that someone could be... You know, I mean, this isn't like totally out there. Yeah, you know, you th- yeah, you I think, think about. Is... Go ahead, Brock. Oh, I was going to say, you think about. Um, I mean, you know, you know, when we when we think about the futuristic technology, a lot of times we think about VR and kind of think about the limitations of that now with the way we interact. But like, if you really just think about something as simple as a keyboard, like that is connecting your brain to an incredible amount of input and an incredible variety of input that, you know, you can put your fingers down on this thing and access a a huge amount of information. And, um, you know, the, the idea that it's wired to, you know, two parts of their brains and it's just allowing them to access and understand information Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, I, I think it's, I think it's far-fetched to an extent. Um, but I also think that there are examples of technology sort of opening up our brain's capabilities. Mm-hmm. You know, where, it, where it might get far-fetched is just that it seems at least currently that there is some sort of bandwidth. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. You know, if you put, just because somebody's online, they might be able to access information very quickly that doesn't guarantee they know how to <laughs> parse that parse information. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, like, let's say that yes. <laughs> we may all have some all, relatives. We're very who... well aware that Well, so, I mean, it, it's like what the set sets are doing to me is like, let's say you put four sim- symphonies on audio at the exact same time and watch like four movies at the same time and you're trying to follow four conversations. Do you have the bandwidth to do all of that? Um, You probably have to have some sort of mechanical Mm -hmm. upgrade to your brain to be able to stream all of that simultaneously. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, I agree. So I think we're safe. We can safely say that set, set, set sets are a few years off. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, so, but I mean, we have no reason to say it's totally impossible. I mean, so one of the reviews I read said that the whole thing was ridiculous because there's no way that the cars could exist because their acceleration forces would kill their inhabitants. And we don't have fuel that's good enough to do that. And I was just like, 
okay, that's a dumb. <laughs> that's an interesting <laughs> nitpick. Yeah. What a strange complaint. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, about this book. I just feel like I picture someone in the age of steam, and we're talking about like plutonium rods, and they're right. like. What bullshit! Awesome. You know, I, <laughs> let's just accept that in the next three hundred years they did something, okay? Right. <laughs> and like, life's yeah. not going to get any more complicated. We're not going to figure anything else out, dude. Well, and like the acceleration factor, I was like, well, like crash couches, right? Like we've yeah. all we've all seen the expanse. Yeah, They're in a really right. padded chair, <laughs> and the first ten minutes of the flight kind of suck, and they get injected yeah. with like. With, like, with with meth, with, yeah. Yeah. Going. <laughs> but, it's, but it's science meth. It's so it's science meth. So you don't fly too much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna get another flight. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. No, that's that's an interesting thing to to object to to not not be on board with. Yeah, this review mentioned nothing about like any of the book's ethical questions. Yeah. It was just like, these cars aren't realistic. Oh, okay. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> um, so speaking of uh, not realistic, is the, uh, so here's, here's my next, dis- maybe my last discussion question. Is the hive system simply capitalism applied to citizenship? So it is a, a free market uh, monarchy, almost. So, so you can, you know, because you are free to to shop and choose your citizenship. You know, you live next door to somebody who belongs to a different nation with a different set of laws. What a fascinating question. <laughs> I don't know. Do we think they're engaged in like, man, I wish, I wish this book had shown us the common life of anyone other than like someone trying to hassle a random utopian. (laughs) (laughs) Cause we know they go to work. Right. That's an, I don't know. That's an interesting question. Is it just free market? Like, yeah. Free market identity. What do you think, Brock? Next time on the space. Oh, here. Hold on. Hold on. Yeah. <laughs> yes. um, I mean, yes. And I, you know, I pose the question because I do kind of think that that's, um, that that's what it is. And I think that my saying that is probably overly simplifying the the idea um but but that was kind of something that just struck me that like you know currently we you know we live in a place and we're kind of expected to have a loyalty to that place you know as much as we'd all like to be canadian we live in the united (laughs) states and we (laughs) we just have to settle for that uh so, but, uh, you know, but in, but in this, in this utopia, you just, you know, you pick your hive and you, it gives you a whole set of, of laws and, and philosophy. And, you know, maybe you, I mean, 
you know, think about, think about how, how strange it, it, it would be if the, you know, if the Japanese sense of, uh, community and, um, well, of course, now the term is escaping me in, you know, in the United States, we're very individualistic and many Asian nations are not, they are the opposite. And think about the, the strangeness of, you know, living in a, in a, in a neighborhood where some people, and I, you know, and, and maybe to an extent we do, you know, you, you know, I have, uh, you know, I have neighbors who uh, are, I think, Pakistani, um, and you know, they come from a completely different cultural background than me. Uh, so I, I don't know. I, th I think it's uh, it's maybe less, uh, you know, less foreign than I initially am thinking. Uh, less foreign of a concept. Because we do, you know, we do belong to our own sort of identities, uh, in addition to our our national identity. I'm curious if, I mean, so two thoughts occur to me. One of them is just, I wonder if this would even function. Mm -hmm. Like, who would live in? I don't know. I don't want to call any one place out. But I wouldn't choose to live like at the equator. <laughs> okay. If I could live somewhere like California. So like how much liberty does a person have? Like, are you expected to join a bash, but kind of within your area? Mm -hmm. Can you, can you just live anywhere? And does that mean that all the good real estate is like, how do you buy a house? Yeah. Yeah. Do you or buy a house? You just do you just belong to the local chapter of humanists and you just live in, in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. And yeah. <laughs> like, but I wanted to live in Spain and they're just like, no, no, sorry. We don't need anyone in that chapter. Yeah. It Collectivist. Doesn't really, doesn't really explain that. It just says you can go anywhere you want. Collectivist is the word that I could not think of. Oh yeah, sure. I'll just edit that in. I'm also thinking of uh, <laughs> our friend Rob, who's just so elated that he's moving to Salt Lake from the Utah Valley. Right. <laughs> what a dream. <laughs> and I'm like, man, set your sights higher, Rob. <laughs> oh, it's <escaping. laughs> really let down if you think it's that much of an improvement. Oh, escaping <laughs> Provo for that. Oh, no, it, it will be an improvement. But uh... Haven of Salt Lake City. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it will be an improvement spoken as someone who has visited Provo and lived in Salt Lake. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like driving into Mount Doom, isn't it? Just like, <laughs> little, like yeah. you cross the Black Gate and is this hall just. Is it south? Is In the book, is it south or is it what direction is Mount Doom? <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure Tolkien, he based it on Utah, right? <laughs> yeah, he went to Provo once and he was like. Ooh, ah, for though the funeral pall was drawn up <laughs> over my face in the cold <laughs> casket. And so he wrote a book. Yeah. It wasn't based on like Germany or anything. Right. Yeah, no, this is a little yeah. known fact. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, that was fun. Yeah. That was fun. Yeah, it was a delight. 
So, who's who's next? I believe that was my choice. Whose turn is it next? <laughs> You're bad. It yeah. Might be me. Let's let's Ooh. take a look. Brock, what are we gonna read next? I have a uh, pick that I need to pull up. Oh man, I'm not sure I want to read this one that I have written down. Oh boy. <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, this would be a re. One of these would be a reread. Maybe last. Uh, uh, in in our last episode, you let me pick between uh, between two. So maybe I'll do that. Oh, yeah. So, would you rather read uh, oh. up uprooted, uh, which I believe is Naomi Novik. Uh, or would you rather read Autonomous uh, by, I believe, Annalie Newitz? Do you know anything about either of these books? Uh, so yeah. Autonomous is interesting. And I actually um, recently tweeted at uh, Annalie Newitz uh, based on a news story about some, some people who had found discarded vaccine information and we're putting it up for for public use uh it was like a, a vaccine formula um and autonomous kind of uh parts of it kind of skew close to that idea of um hacking uh pharmaceutical information uh so that's kind of an interesting one um, and I believe Uprooted is a fantasy story um, that I don't know anything about because that's not the one I have already read. Mm. It's a high fantasy novel by Naomi Novik. Well, I would rather read Autonomous just by the description. Autonomous features a rakish female pharmaceutical pirate yes. <laughs> who traverses the world in her old submarine. I'm sold. Okay, let's do it. What do you want to do, though? It's your choice. Oh, oh yes, that. please. It was my choice last time. I chose. Well, no, but you gave Brock the choice. Now he's giving you the choice. Oh. Yeah. Last time it was your choice that I chose. All right. Yeah. So the tables have turned. <laughs> the turntables. <laughs> uh, okay, that, it seems like you guys both want to read that, so that's fine. There we have is. a grudging acceptance. <laughs> <laughs> Autonomous it is. Well, lovely listeners, it's been a treat. It certainly has. The end. Adios, I guess. <laughs> Bye. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for joining us in the Space Biff Book Space. Our theme music is Day Trips by Ketza. Join us next month for another discussion. And in the meantime, you can email us at spacebiffbookspace at gmail.com.